Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. For copyright and disclaimers, as well as information about how to contact the iCritical Care staff, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Savell, Associate Professor of Clinical Medicine and Neurology at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine here in New York City. Joining us today is Dr. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM. She is Interim Chair of the Department of Medicine at SUNY Stony Brook, where she is a Professor of Medicine. She's also former President of the Society of Critical Care Medicine and Head of Pediatric Podcasting for SCCM. But today we are interviewing her and her role as a co-author on an important paper published earlier this year entitled An International Survey public awareness and perception in sepsis. The reference is Critical Care Medicine, 2009, volume 37, number one, pages 167 to 170. I thought this was a particularly fascinating paper, and I'm grateful to have an opportunity to speak with Dr. Parker. Thank you so much, Dr. Parker, for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here. The focus of this survey was to get a sense of, have people even heard of the term sepsis? And uh, I thought I'd let you begin by perhaps painting a little bit about the background of how the study came about. And as you mentioned there, this is similar in the situation to acute myocardial infarction about 50 years ago. So maybe if you could take it from there, that would be terrific. Sure. Uh, As probably most of um, people who are involved in critical care are aware, the Surviving Sepsis Campaign started about six years ago with the goal of reducing mortality from sepsis worldwide. The first step in the Surviving Sepsis Campaign was to answer the question as to whether the public even knew what sepsis was. And for that purpose, this survey was developed. Um, The analogy is to that of acute myocardial infarction, um, which you mentioned. Fifty years ago, acute MI had a very high mortality, uh, and people were not particularly aware of what the symptoms were and what they should do if they had those symptoms. Over the years, treatment for myocardial infarction has improved dramatically uh, and is also very much time-sensitive. The cardiology community has worked very hard to increase public awareness of the symptoms of myocardial infarction, uh, the need for rapid treatment, and the public has responded by presenting more quickly uh, at a time when some of the very time-sensitive therapies can uh, be implemented. And as a consequence, the the mortality from myocardial infarction has dropped dramatically um, over the last several decades. This was not a survey of healthcare providers. It was a survey of people in general, right? Correct. This was the general public. There have been surveys in the past of healthcare providers relating to the definition of sepsis, but this was strictly to know whether the general public um, even had any idea what sepsis was. And um, and again, before I go into the details, um, we all have personal experiences where it comes as a shock to families. They're often very confused. They have a much better understanding, as you point out, if we tell them that their loved one has had a heart attack or or telling somebody that they've had a heart attack. But when we say sepsis, it's often just quizzical, quizzical, uh, confused looks on their faces, right? That is correct. So this survey was sent out in in 2002. and, And just for the listeners, 
It was sent out to people in France, Germany, the United Kingdom, Italy, Spain, and the United States. There was 6,000 people total, 5,000 in Europe, and 1,000 in the United States. And there were sort of four major questions, and I thought I'd let you go over. uh, I'll discuss the question and let you talk about some of the responses. So the first question, the big picture question, was have you heard of the term sepsis? Um, And the overall responses... um, except for Germany, were terribly low with, as you point out, a mean of 88% never having heard of the term. Um, so if you'd like to comment. Yes, that was step number one in the, in the survey was had people ever even heard the word. And um, as you noted, in most of Europe and the United States, very few people had ever even heard the word sepsis. Uh, Germany is different um, and somewhat unique. Uh, the German national health care system provides public education resources about sepsis, and so there's a significantly greater recognition, at least of the term sepsis, uh, in Germany. So p- uh, public education clearly um, can help in having people at least say, have you ever heard of sepsis? And the answer is yes. And uh, I thought it was concerning France. There's some very important obviously research that comes out of that country, too. It's, it's not like there's not people focused on the disease, right? Correct. Um, the healthcare workers in these countries obviously are all very uh, knowledgeable and sophisticated in sepsis, but when you go to the general public, they have no idea what we're doing, and they have no knowledge of the problem that sepsis is. And just, and again, to help me, is this the kind of study that would you be able to go back then to people in government and say, look, A, we should have more resources devoted to studying this disease and B, focusing in on ed- educating people about it, perhaps to get people to the hospital earlier, that kind of thing? Both of those points are very um, important and um the short answer is yes, we would like to be able to do both of those things. Public education clearly improved the um, rapid presentation for people with myocardial infarction, and one would hope it would for sepsis as well. But the symptoms of sepsis are much more um, vague and less specific. So public education on uh, how do you recognize you might have sepsis and when should you present is likely going to be significantly more difficult than for myocardial infarction. But if the public recognizes that sepsis is a huge problem, um, which, of course, we in critical care know it is, then the hope is that that will lead to public pressure to increase funding for research so that we can improve our understanding of sepsis and our management and hopefully get people to come for treatment earlier when the chances of making a difference in outcome are greater. Were there any controversies when you were coming up with this? I'm just thinking now talking to you because that one of the differences, say, for example, between acute myocardial infarction and sepsis is that sepsis is still a syndrome. And, and as, as we teach people, there are there's an agreed upon but somewhat arbitrary definition of it. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. That the issue of will public education make a difference in um, earlier presentation certainly generated substantial controversy in this. You know, we like to think that if people knew they had the signs and symptoms of sepsis, they would come earlier. We could treat them more effectively as we can with people with um, acute MIs. But the point is obviously very well taken that the symptoms in, in sepsis are not so specific and not as easy 
to um, educate the general public about this is, if you have this symptom, come to your doctor immediately. And I, I think it would certainly make the average intensivist job a little bit easier if, if the public had heard about this rather than both giving the difficult news that they have this difficult disease and it's one that they've never heard of, right? I think that's unquestionably true. I certainly have had the same experience you have as many uh, intensivists have um, when you tell them that their loved one has septic, sepsis or septic shock and they look at you blankly like, I've never heard of that. Um, if they had at least heard of it, there's one less uh, shocking thing to present to them, and it's a little bit easier to um, continue the conversation about what's going on with their loved one. Right. Well, uh, the second question in your important survey, you, you said if you answered yes in question one, meaning that you'd heard of sepsis, so again, a very small group of people unless you were in Germany, the question was to describe sepsis. And you wrote here that most countries around 40 percent wrote an acceptable answer, although confusingly, Germany was only 22 percent. Yes, I thought that was an interesting uh, finding in the survey. Um, for those who answered yes, they'd heard of sepsis, we gave them a list of possible dep definitions. They could put in um, their own definition, but there was a list of um, potential things, some of which were correct and some of which were not, um, from which they could choose. And it's interesting that even though the, the folks in Germany had heard the term, they didn't know what it meant, um, and perhaps even fewer Germans knew what it meant than the small portion of people in other countries who said, yes, they'd heard of sepsis. So the, so I, I guess one thing you, you might say is that even in countries where they're doing education, there's room for improvement in the education. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, the next uh, question you asked was, and, and I wasn't you said, where did you hear about sepsis? And most who'd heard of it said the media. And I guess if you'd like to comment on that. Right. Uh, most of the people, it, it's not surprising, a lot of people get their education through the media. It can be various forms of the media, written, um, internet, uh, television, radio, so forth. Um, some, uh, a substantial minority heard about sepsis in school or biology lessons or so forth. Um, but the, the largest percentage who had heard about the term sepsis heard it in some form in the media, which I think tells us that if we are going to do a real major public education um, campaign, the media would likely be a very effective tool. And I can say personally, as someone who would be looking for it, I can't think of a single time that I've heard about it in our media. Occasionally there has been a small newspaper article that has mentioned it, but in terms of um, major media attention, I can't think of any either. Right. And, and again, as you bring up the analogy, certainly compared with all the ads for aspirin for your heart attack and, right. and all that. Right. Uh, um, and your last question, which I actually thought was a little hard, <laughs> was, uh, so how many people die of sepsis worldwide? And the answer is 1,400. Uh, Fifty-eight percent did not know. I would imagine you would just say that this was to, to educate perhaps the people being surveyed, but I don't know. Right. The, the goal of this question was to um, reinforce what an important problem sepsis really is. We didn't actually expect that people would have any idea uh, about the um, mortality of sepsis. 1,400 patients a day internationally is um, the number of people who die from sepsis, uh, which, when you think about it, is 
huge public health problem, and people just are not aware of it. Um, I thought I'd let you take the last, whatever, five, ten minutes to talk about the technical aspects of the challenges of doing a survey like this, and then I think sort of the big picture, rather disheartening, but I guess not unexpected results from the survey. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, developing a survey with uh, reasonable and um, measurable questions is, is a challenge, and the survey questions themselves went back and forth. Uh, you can argue with what these questions were, particularly perhaps question four. Um, but I think it does give us um, some flavor of how unfamiliar most people, at least in the Western countries, are um, with what a big problem sepsis is. Uh, this survey was done as a telephone survey, so I, um, there's a potential for bias in terms of um, only the people who had telephones were going to get called about it. Um, but um, it doesn't seem likely to us that those who don't have phones would have a greater awareness than those who do. So in terms of the validity of the sample, um, I don't think that was a huge problem, but I, I think that it's difficult to de design an appropriate research um, survey tool for something like this um, and then to, to implement it. Um, I think the, the, the big picture of sepsis, we have made a huge amount of progress over the last couple of decades in understanding the pathophysiology and addressing treatment, and I think... Um, it is well recognized that early management, particularly such simple things as uh, antibiotic treatment and fluid resuscitation for hemodynamic instability, uh, are clearly life-saving. And uh, if we can, um, through education of both the public and the healthcare community, uh, improve our ability to treat people more quickly, we will lower the mortality from uh, sepsis. Simply educating the public, as we talked about earlier, is not likely to uh, make a huge difference. But, but we also hope that um, if the public is aware that there this, is this huge public health problem, that um, there will um, be, become some pressure on those who fund research to fund research in this area. There's certainly precedent for that in um, cancer, cardiac disease, and a lot of other um, areas in medicine. So uh, if the public becomes aware of what a huge problem sepsis is and how uh, high the mortality is in ICUs uh, around the world, then um, potentially we can um, raise research funding to enable us to be uh, more effective in our diagnosis and treatment and lead to the decrease in mortality that is the goal of the Surviving Sepsis Campaign. Um, were, were you as a group sur surprised by the uh, results from Germany, or was this expected? Uh, I think um, there were a couple of people in the Surviving Sepsis Campaign who were from Germany and uh, familiar with the public education efforts there uh, who perhaps weren't surprised, but I think most of us as a group were rather surprised um, that Germany had such a higher um, term recognition, uh, but without 
a greater understanding of what the term means. And does just as a follow-up on that, d- does that help the, the Surviving Sepsis campaign to use Germany as a paradigm to see how they're implementing educational issues? Or I think that we've... Um, the the um, guidelines from the Surviving Sepsis campaign have been implemented... Um, in many countries, and the the German sepsis net- network has a very um, efficient system for implementing them. We can look at the data from Germany compared to that from other con- com- countries and uh, see whether there's any difference in the implementation of the guidelines or in outcome. Um, and down the road, if we look again at public knowledge of sepsis, it would be interesting to compare the differences um, perhaps five years from now, when we hope that there has been greater education uh, compared to now. But in terms of the, the way they educated in Germany, is that something that your group can look at to help us or something like that? Potentially, we, we could. We have not um, done that at this point. The, the push of the Surviving Sepsis Campaign has been to develop the guidelines and get them implemented. But uh, your point is a very good one. Um, how did Germany do what they did, what were the tools that they used in providing public education um, so that more people knew about sepsis. And that certainly is something that if we were to say in the United States, okay, this is going to be a focus of our public education, I would certainly think that it would be wise to look at what the Germans did um, and not reinvent the wheel, so to speak, because whatever they have done in public education has at least raised the awareness that there is a problem called sepsis. I was wondering if you might um, uh, talk about maybe there must be sort of plans for follow-up, I would imagine, either picking a particular state in the United States and say, we're going to take this small state and educate people and then follow up in a year or two and see if there's a better understanding. Would you like to talk about sort of how you want to take this data and and do follow-up? I I think uh, looking at a particular population, would a particular state would be a good way to do it. Um, There are not uh, definite plans through the surviving sepsis campaign to do something like that, uh, largely because of funding, uh, and the the um, campaign itself has been more focused on implementing management guidelines. Uh, but I think that if funding were to become available, looking at um, a microcosm, if you will, or of the um, the United States or one state, would be a very interesting way to do a sort of you could do a before and after sort of survey um, looking at, at the response to a public education campaign. At the moment, that is not um, in definitive planning, but if funding were to become available, I think that would be a very interesting question. Well, like I said, I was I was grateful for an opportunity to talk about this because uh, clearly both other clinicians within uh, who care for patients uh, who may have sepsis, may not have heard about it, people who are not involved intimately like we are, and certainly having the public more aware of this disease at all and of how prevalent it is, um, I think would be great. And it makes f- families certainly feel less alone. You know, there's definitely a sense when you speak with families that, that have never heard of this, that, you know, w- what is happening to my loved one, this horrible thing I've never heard of. Uh, I think this is a very, very worthy thing. Well, thank you very much. I... I think that that's a very useful point. We've been speaking today uh, with Dr. Margaret Parker, 
she is former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. She's currently a professor of medicine at SUNY Stony Brook. And our focus today was on a paper published earlier this year, An International Survey, Public Awareness and Perception of Sepsis. Thank you so much, Dr. Parker, for being with us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. This concludes another edition of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information, as well as full access to over four years of archived podcasts. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Richard Savell. The Paragon Critical Care Quality Implementation Program offers hospitals an unparalleled opportunity to benefit from the experiences of peer leaders dedicated to critical care performance improvement. Through the use of engaging tools provided by SCCM and others, Paragon utilizes a combination of self-assessment, teleconferences, site visits, peer collaboration, consulting, and coaching to help hospitals develop high-functioning critical care teams. Hospitals interested in becoming a Paragon participant to positively transform their critical care units should contact Lori Harmon, RRT, MBA, Paragon Critical Care Manager, at 1-847-493-6403 or via email at lharmon at sccm.org. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is the Society's Associate Editor for Podcasts, Richard Savell, MD, FCCM. Dr. Savell is the Medical Co-Director of the Surgical Intensive Care Unit at Montefiore Medical Center in New York City practicing under the leadership of Vladimir Kavetin, MDFCCM. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.